0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: Well, good morning, good morning and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Ab Bishop. And I'm standing in for Pam Bardi for the next four weeks who's swanning around in Europe looking at amazing gardens and uh, she's under strict instructions from me to eat as many baguettes with gooey cheese <laughs> as possible. Um, so look, today is actually an excellent day for ringing in if anyone's got questions because I'm surrounded by the most incredible amount of knowledge. Uh, first off, um, I'd like to welcome garden designer and rejuvenator James Beattie And I'd also like to welcome uh, King of the Bulbs, Greg Balderston, who I have um, since decided should be renamed Greg (laughs) Baldurston, and also perennial plant pundit Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery. So welcome, guys.
2: Thank you. you. Cheers, AP.
1: So we're all a little kind of shell-shocked still being up so early, is that right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Normal. Craig's fine, (laughs) Craig's not, he's into it already, he's been up for four hours. It's true, I have. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, what's happening out in, in your world, guys?
2: Apart from being incredibly dry, mm. autumn, I've been rearranging a few borders and things in the last couple of weeks, and the soil is extremely, it's extremely sus. dry. It is, yes. Yeah. Skeletal was how I was describing it to a client the yeah. other day, and it's just, I'm, I'm having to irrigate my vegetables this time of year for the first time in about seven years, I reckon. Mm. Um Yeah, it's it's it's
3: it's probably drier now than it was in the middle of summer, which Mm. is uh, Mm. a bit of a you know we uh, up up at home there was quite a good season right up until sort of mid January and then it's literally rained twice since then I think and we're only four weeks away from winter and it's yeah yeah, it's uh, really starting to make an impact it's when you do water something at least it stays there for a little while now but uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it'd be nice if it fell from the sky by itself. Rather. Yeah, I have noticed. It's the planting
4: season. Yeah. 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 I just haven't been able to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, and there has been, well, seems to me, a bit of dieback around the place. Like trees are, I mean, when you drive around looking, trees are really suffering,
4: aren't they? I think it's worse than the 10-year drought. I, as in, in terms of extended dry period, mm. during that period we had more rainfall over the summer than we've had this year. yeah. Yeah, it's a shocker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, now, Greg, I've only met you for the first time this morning, so I'm going to take this opportunity to grill you on air. <laughs> right. um, where, Whereabouts are you from?
3: So I grew up in Mount Macedon, mm-hmm. um, and I live in Romsey now, mm-hmm. but still work and uh, work in gardens on Mount Macedon and uh, locally around that area. Yeah. And uh, spend a lot of time exploring the forest up there too. It's sort of a bit of a passion of mine, uh, Rummaging around in the in the undergrowth of the forest, looking for fungi, and and uh, you know just enjoying being in. It's a it's a really nice forest up there. It's it's not a huge area, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I I'm sure a lot of people use it because you can see the tracks are well used, yeah. Um, but I, I don't think uh, as far as the fungi and the flora and things go. People fully appreciate what's up in such a small area, yeah, which sure. is completely surrounded by sort of uh, you know, open farmland and, and towns that are getting a lot bigger. Yeah. And um, there's these little alcoves of the most amazing things in these little tiny valleys that uh, not many people get to see. So I, I spend a lot of time photographing that and the last year learning all the names trying to
4: Greg's a very skilled photographer his photographs are beautiful
5: Fantastic. yeah so, so yeah.
3: I've uh, been photographing and looking them at, at the for the fungi for the last 5 6 years or so but sure. just in the last year I've thought I probably should learn the names of yeah, trying start of course, learning the yeah. names of these things so um and uh yeah so that that's I, I spend any spare time I've got, and a lot of the time it's at night time as well. So yeah. I, it's my, my dog, uh, two dogs, and I, and a headlamp, and we'll go out uh, walking along the paths and following wallaby tracks. And Looking
1: for those nocturnal fungi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
3: and they sort of stand out in the night time a lot too, because especially the brightly coloured ones, the yeah. bright red and blue and, and yellow, um, you know, they tend to stand out in the torchlight, where in the daytime, you might notice them as much because you're sort of bombarded with light and colour. But, yeah, sure, uh, sure. when sure. you shine a torch on one and everything else is dark, they sort of stand out. Stand out, out
1: yeah. <laughs> and I suppose that would be a, a better time for photos.
3: Yeah, uh, um, that's, that, that's a, lo- a long learning process for me because yeah. most of the time I've, I just use the mobile phone up until recently. I, yeah. I've just used my mobile phone to take the photos. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's been exploring cheap uh, torches from hardware stores (laughs) and things like that to try and find the right sort of light to take good photos. And now a friend gave me a a reasonably expensive camera, and so now I have to carry a backpack everywhere that weighs about 10 kilos for the torches (laughs) and 10 pegs and cameras and tripods and things like that. Um, But often the camera takes uh, as good of photos as the sort of 15-year-old Ex- very expensive camera yeah so, yeah so, sure um,
1: and are you on Instagram
3: yes uh, uh, so it's at, at Longenomus on Instagram yep better spell that because uh, I'll get it wrong yeah it's <laughs> a- a- L-O-N-G yep I-N-O-M-U-S
1: okay and that, that was the name of your nursery that was the name you, of my yeah. nursery
3: okay. uh, and, and I still sell mail order bulbs so I've mm-hmm. just finished for the season yep um but the I, I used to do farmers markets and rare plant fairs and things and, and I, I don't do that anymore but um yeah. uh yes in summer i still sell sort of some of the rare bulbs and things like that sure. uh, through the catalog yeah um and it's a- also on facebook as well so uh, that's just greek Balderson on facebook okay. and there's Literally thousands of photos. So and it's actually <laughs>
1: Baldiston, B-O-L-D-I-I-S-T. I yes, not yep. Baldiston. You really have to change your name. <laughs> <laughs> and are you um, noticing that this dry weather is impacting the the fungi? Uh,
3: yeah, they're not around at all. Yeah, there's. Uh, um, I, so I've I've just started doing walks uh, in the forest up up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, got like guided tours, and most of the people coming want to see fungi because mm. they. See the photos I post on, on Instagram and yep. Facebook, and there's nothing around at the moment because mm. there's no moisture. And, and most of the ones at this time of the year like moisture. Yeah. And, you know, when it's raining and the forest floor's wet, you can literally go out and find, you know, 30 or 40 species of fungi in a couple of square metres of the ground if you go, go looking for them in yep. certain areas. Yeah. Mm. And at the moment, you can walk four or five k's and only see five or six mm, bits of mm.
1: fungi popping up here or there. And I wonder if we do eventually have rain, if those species which are supposed to be coming up now will come up later, or if yeah, be a different
3: group. It's different every year too, of mm-hmm. course, just like everything else. Um, you know, if, if whether they're d- dependent on uh, soil temperature or um, uh, moisture levels. Uh, in the soil, or yep. humidity, um, or air temperature, or whatever mm-hmm. triggers them into starting to, to fruit, you know, send out their fruiting bodies. Yep. Um, it, it, it's, it's interesting to see how each season affects them. So, mm-hmm. seasons that you think aren't going to be that good uh, often are quite, you know, there's fungi everywhere. Yeah. And then yeah. other ones, it, but usually moisture is a pretty key element yep. to, to them doing something. So, um, yeah, hopefully. Uh, There's a... a, I've got a busy weekend next weekend. There's um, a fungi workshop at Mm Ardhealy. Hopefully I've correctly pronounced... I always have trouble pronouncing Ardhealy, which is on the north side of Mount Macedon. Yep. And Alison Pillow's doing the talk on Friday. She does... uh, There's one on Friday (laughs) and Saturday. I'm going to the Saturday one. Mm -hmm. Um, And... It ha- again, it hasn't rained, so hopefully Alison will be able to find mm. some specimens to show everyone. Yeah, interesting. I uh, have to bring some from the supermarket. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've got a, one of my walks after that on the Saturday, and then another one for the um, Environment Education Victoria on the Sunday that, that I'm uh, leading, and it still doesn't look like it's going to rain between now and then. And, you know, when it was two months away, it's like, oh, it'll rain. It's shorter rain. And then it just gets closer and closer. And um, there was a bit of moisture falling from the sky when I was driving in this morning. But, um, you know, we need an inch or something. Yeah, 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 we need an inch or – and over a couple of days, not just one sharp – of course, You know, yeah. drop and then nothing again for for three or four weeks. So yeah. we
1: might see you out in the forest with your hose? Is that what, uh, that yeah. <laughs> I, I'd probably need a long one to get up there,
3: yeah. Um, but even in the spots where it's moist, there's something about the atmosphere. Or that, you know, so some of the gullies are still moist at the moment, but yeah. they're not really producing any fungi at the moment yeah. it's a yeah. shame
1: isn't it because if there was uh, a bit of rain with this nice warm temperature they would go off wouldn't
5: you they You'd
3: think so yeah. 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 yeah yeah
1: so what with the different uh mushroom groups like i've got a very sort of rudimentary knowledge on them so what sort of things do you look for when you go out i mean i know bracket fungi and then i don't know little ones that fairies yeah. sit on and
3: well i actually don't eat them at all so i'm, yeah. I'm definitely not looking for edible ones yeah um I'm, at at this point i 'm pretty much looking for ones i haven't seen before yeah um and i've got favorites too like you know bright purple coral fungi always jumps out, mm-hmm. and I get pretty excited when you see one of those on mm-hmm. the on the or you know anything that's brightly colored yeah. uh, do you get any luminescent like, fungi up around where you there are? is yeah. yeah um it's probably one of the better ones in the world actually uh, oh, as right. far as its size and how it glows. Mm-hmm. um there's a species called omphalotus nidiformis, mm-hmm. which can get you know, oh, quite a few... Big. Yeah, quite quite big. Yeah. Uh, bracket fungus, they usually grow at the base of uh, eucalyptus, dead, yeah. or dead or dying eucalyptus. Um, and they're probably 10 to 20 centimetres across. Gosh. They can get quite large. And a good specimen, supposedly, you could read a book by in the wow. dark. Wow. I've only ever found one while I've been out at night. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It was a full moon, and I don't think it was glowing very much. Right. So, uh, um, and to take photos of them actually glowing, you need a, a DSLR camera, and long exposure, and a long yeah. exposure. And I've hadn't haven't had the opportunity to do that right. yet. Right. Um, but often you'll find them and get really excited and go back out at night. And they're not a very good. It's it's not a good strain of it, so it doesn't glow very much. So, right. um, Although, as I say, even a full moon. <laughs> sort of ruins it because it's so light, you know, it's quite a soft glow. Yep. It, it's an iridescent green Sure. Um, but yeah, you, it's, it's sort of much better if it's really dark to have the background of absolutely <laughs> to it, yeah. Um uh, but that doesn't tend to grow up at Mount Macedon so much, it's more in the drier. so, um, locally up around Mount Macedon it's probably more in Gisborne and <coughs> Macedon and Woodend in the drier mm. uh, uh, native forests, um but uh, they're quite large, so if you see a big white fungus growing from an old eucalyptus tree, and they've, they sort of get darker to the centre on the on the top of the cap, um, it's well worth a trip back out uh, at night time to see if it glows. Oh, right. that,
1: that's because where I'm, I'm in the Bend of Islands and in the middle of euc forest, and uh, there's often the, those bracket fungi on eucalypts, and boy, do they grow fast! Yeah, it's like uh, you kind of watch them and I take photos over a few nights, and they just, I don't know how they do it. Like, it'd be fantastic to stand and watch them, because yeah. I'm sure you Have you heard of them
3: them. Um, Stephen Axford? He's uh, another sort of world-renowned no. fun- fungi photographer. Yep. Um And he takes time-lapse ah. images yep. of fungi growing, and oh. they're pretty amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, yeah, just as you say, the, the amount of biomass they can collect and push up into the air in a matter of days even. Yeah, it's um, incredible. So the, the big amanita mushrooms, the ones that everyone's familiar with, the red, with the white spots, mm-hmm. there's Australian native species of those. They're an introduced species. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a white one that I've found up at Mount Macedon before that, um, the stipe the stem on the on the mushroom was as big as my forearm. Mm-hmm. So it was like my for- mm. forearm sticking out oh of the ground and holding something the size of an Akubra hat Whoa, that's <laughs> insane. And it'd
2: probably weigh about four or five kilos. Yeah. And oh. it's a mushroom, like a gilled mushroom, beautiful mm. big white thing with yeah. Every time I see one now, I'm just going to think of a hand sticking out of the ground, <laughs> <Yeah>. holding <laughs> a cubra hat. Yeah, <laughs> a a whiter cubra hat. <laughs> yeah, awesome.
1: Now, we will we'll come back to that conversation. I better get to some um, garden announcements. Um, so everyone's got their pens ready, hopefully. Um, this is on Friday, the 4th of May. Karen Sutherland is giving a free talk on the topic of enjoying native food plants. Um, this is for the Australian Plant Society Keelor Plains Group. Karen will focus on growing Australian native food plants in urban situations and how to utilise them in a Western diet. The talk will take place at the Rally Road Activity Centre, which is at 54 Rally Road, Maribyrnong. Um, plant, there's also plant sales there, and plant sales commence at 7.45, and Karen's talk will commence at 8pm. Now, for further information, you can give Anne a call on 9336 3228. Um, and there's um, a map and public transport information at uh, their website, which is Uh The Mullum Mullum um, Creek Festival is on at the moment, and uh, that started yesterday. So it uh, ran yesterday, today, and next weekend. Um, it's a $2.00 donation per person per session and there's a whole host of um, things going on Um, the catchment of the Mullum Mullum Creek in the municipalities of Maroondah, Whitehorse and Manningham is home to more than 60,000 people but also encompasses some of the largest and best preserved areas of remnant bush in urban Melbourne Uh, it's got more than 120 species of indigenous birds which is pretty incredible when you think we've got about 900 species all up Um, as well as many mammals, reptiles and countless invertebrates. The festival was inaugurated in 1995 by concerned individuals in the local community who opposed the Eastern Freeway extension through the valley and who wanted to play an active role in promoting the natural values of the local area. During the festival, you will have the opportunity to learn about the biodiversity and the cultural heritage of the Mullum Mullum Valley, Um, The walks, yeah, cover a wide range of aspects of the valley and there's always something new to see. Um, So today there's, um, yeah, various sessions. There's an outdoor Tai Chi session um, at 10.30. Uh, At 11 a.m. there's a walk and talk, uh, Mullum Mullum Meander with Mandarin Interpreter. Um, That's John Harris with uh, Nancy Zhao. And at 11 a.m. there's a walk and talk on the Aboriginal use of plants uh, by Lenka Vanderboom. And at 4 p.m. there's a walk and talk, Malam uh, Malam Mala Meander, with Arabic interpreter David DeAngelis with Mervat uh, Dadul. Um, and then next weekend there's um, again various walks and talks, Um, exploring part of the bushland at um, 10am on the Saturday there's a mosses and liverworts uh, talk with uh, Dr Matt Dell um, and uh, yeah, and all sorts of things going on, so I think um, to check if you need more information on that Um, you can go to the mullummullumfestival.org.au. So mullummullum, just M-U-L-L-U-M. So that's mullummullumfestival.org.au and you'll be able to see exactly what's on because there's a lot on. Uh, Okay, so this um, is an open garden in Main Region. This garden we've got, uh, it's from Open Gardens Victoria. We've got a free double pass um, which you can call um, and grab it from Virginia. It's on 941901 double five. The garden is Arkenfield. It's at 237 Barker's Road, Main Ridge. It's open next Saturday and Sunday, so the 5th and 6th of May, from 10 a.m. to 4:30 p.m. Entry price is $10 and students $5. Under 18s free. Impressive established trees are the framework for this beautifully planned 1.2 hectare Mornington Peninsula Garden that descends to Main Creek in a series of lawn terraces defined and linked by walks, hedges and magnificent stone steps. Oaks, maples, birches and beeches provide stunning autumn colour and key vantage points um, and sweeping garden vistas. Other features include a beautiful crab, apple walk and a knot garden. So that's the free double pass garden if you want to give Virginia a call. Uh, The Friends of Burnley Gardens um, invite you to um, come to a talk with Andrew Laidlaw. Andrew is the landscape architect for the Royal Botanic Gardens. Um, The talk is uh, titled From Guilfoyle to Gaza. Um, And Andrew um, has been a a leading landscape architect um, in Melbourne and, um, of course, around the world as well. Um, Among many of his projects include the restoration of the Guilfoyles volcano at the uh, Botanic Gardens as part of the Working Wetlands Project and the innovative and successful Ian Potter Foundation Children's Garden. He's taught a whole generation of gardeners at Burnley garden designers at Burnley, has designed many residential and public spaces, particularly spaces for children to play, and has been the leading designer for the Global Gardens of Peace Gaza project. Um, So no doubt that will be an incredible talk. Um, That is at the Burnley campus, which is at 500 Yarra Boulevard, uh, time at 7pm, did I say the date? Wednesday the 16th of May, um, 7.30 uh, for the talk in... I assume this is the room number, MB11. The cost is $5 for members and $15 for non-members and parking is available in the boulevard. So that sounds like an amazing talk to go to. Uh... Oh, another open garden. This is uh, Succulents Become Living Art at Neoka Open Garden in Research. close to me. Amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) always get excited when there's an open (laughs) garden close to me. I don't have to go, you know, spending three hours in the car. (laughs) An expansive collection of aloes and succulents are both the passion and inspiration for ceramic artist Jack Larty, whose uh, open garden opens with Open Gardens Victoria on Saturday, the 19th of May and Sunday, the 20th of May. The hills of research in Melbourne's outer northeast are a long way from Johannesburg where garden owner Jack Larty grew up uh, but there are hints of South Africa everywhere in the aloes, boulders and structures in his garden. Neoka, meaning Green Hill, is literally perched on top of a hill with breathtaking views of distant mountains. Jack is a ceramic artist who creates original pottery um, including amazing vessels for potted succulents and some of the quirky pots appear to have sprouted legs and look like they could scuttle off with their plant inside. Sounds delightful and I've seen some photos and they're pretty amazing. At the entrance to the garden, larger aloes such as aloe barbarae and the striking aloe ferox and aloe marlothii feature in the new front garden beds. Closer to the house is a sculptural garden featuring the Queensland bottle tree, um, and Jack's ceramic art displayed in tree stump bollards. Rocks have been carefully placed to provide textural elements and are used as stepping stones to help channel rainwater through the garden. Visitors are welcome to wander through the nursery and explore Jack's, Jack's working pottery studio. Uh, so this is the Neoka Open Garden, 105 Gumtree Road in research, Saturday 19th, Sunday the 20th of May, from 10 to 4:30, uh, $8 for adults, $5 for students, children under 18 free. And plants and ceramic art are for sale. And if you need more information or if you want to see photos of the garden, you can go to opengardens.victoria.org.au. Um, and finally, a couple of Royal Horticultural Society of Vic um, events. There's the um, Melbourne Friends of the Botanic Gardens. Uh, 2018 autumn plant sale uh, which is the final day is today. Um, that's at the Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne. Enter through gate E on Birdwood Avenue. It's from 10am to 3pm today. Uh, free entry. Uh, if you want to see what plants are available you can hop on their website which is rbgfriendsmelbourne.org and plant sourced are uh, uh, mostly from stock uh, within the Botanic Gardens. And uh, for further information, you can also call 9650-6398. Um, so next weekend, so May 5th and 6th, uh, the Chrysanthemum Society of Victoria has got their annual exhibition. This is at Burwood Heights Uniting Church Hall, corner of Burwood Highway and Blackburn Road, Burwood. On Saturday it's from 1pm to 4pm, on Sunday it's from 12pm to 4pm, entry is $4. Um, Proudly presenting the Society's annual exhibition, um, Plenty of Plants for Sale, presentation of awards and trophies on the Sunday and come along and see chrysanthemums as big as soccer balls. So that um, sounds quite terrifying, actually. (laughs) 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 So, goodness, autumn and still so much going on. I feel like I need to sleep after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what have you been up to, Craig?
4: I've spent the last few mornings pruning an espalier apple walk at Long Acres, which has been an interesting... Well, I, I planted it probably 10, 15 years ago, and it's been my first experience with a spalia. It's quite big. It's about four metres high, five metres wide, and there's 16 trees at about a four to five metre spacing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, what I've learned about Aspalia is that the older they get, the more work they are. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that when you're, when you're training them, you know, you're just tying down a few branches and things. Mm-hmm. It's quite easy. Yeah, it's but fun, isn't it, <laughs> then? Yeah. As they get older and you get more twigs, it's really quite a big job pruning them and the other thing I've learned is to keep them simple mm. I um, made it way too complex and now I'm going through and taking out perhaps a third of the branch structure because if you're spending all those years training something you really want to be able to see it. Mm. If you mm. make it too complex you just can't see it mm. Yeah, it's a fun process we don't get any fruit off it because the parrots get them all mm. but Yeah, I, I
3: saw, is that the one the, the deer were eating the what you'd cut off
4: is that no, the they're one? eating everything on yeah. the ground, and they've eaten all the lower branches. Yeah, right. I've had to lift the whole thing.
5: So they've done some of the work for you, at least. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. on those deer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So did you plant the um, the whole thing? Like, did you do it from the beginning? Yes. Okay. And how yeah. how long's the project been going for?
4: Um, I think it's twelve years now. Yeah, yeah. And there's a variety of apples. Some of some of them are old ones, and some of them are new newer varieties. And they've all lost their label, so I have no idea what's <laughs> what. <they're> <laughs> <was>. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's. I, I really like a spaulier, and I think mm. f- for for people in smaller spaces, it's perfect. Yeah. But it does require a little bit of skill. Mm. And the other thing I've learned is that if you're doing an arch, if you let the wood get too hard then it comes away from the structure and then you tie it back in and it looks terrible because mm. you get this sort of loop. Yep. So you need to get the wood when it's pliable it's enough young. to tie it flat against mm-hmm. the the structure.
1: Yeah, so it's constant yep. out there checking. That's right. Yep. 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 And what sort of uh, structure have you gone with? Uh, and what, like, so what would be the, you know, I don't know, the top five tips for people who are wanting to espalier?
4: Um, this is quite solid, so it's, it's big treated pine posts yeah. with with um, timber rails and yeah. then a rolled aluminium frame on top of it. But it's you know as I said, it's quite big. Yeah. I, look, I think for the home gardener, something really simple that you can pull down well, once you've got the wood set. Oh mm. yeah. Yeah, so you don't really need a permanent structure. Mm. That'll be my advice. I'd I'd do it with um, three corner posts, you know, the 10 posts and wire. Yeah. Then you can,
2: as soon as the wood's set, pull it apart.
1: Really? I hadn't even thought of that.
2: So the trees stand alone. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pleaching a hedge in the backyard at the moment, and I've just used star droppers. That's right. um, That I've banged into the ground, and I've used um, bamboo stakes that I've tied into quite a simple frame that I can train all the horizontals along mm-hmm. um, yeah. but then after the first couple of years I can just dismantle the frame and get rid of it entirely and the plants will stand on their own. Exactly, well, that doesn't take yeah. long No it doesn't. Yeah. as soon as the woods sit that's yeah. it. that's right yeah. So, yeah,
1: yeah, well I had never even thought of that but I suppose that all those living hedges in the UK that hold the stock in mm. uh, you know, where people go and they train the um, shoots at particular angles, I mean mm. that's the same kind of thing isn't it, same yep. kind of principle so just train it and get it in place. Mm. Yeah, mm. I never actually thought about that. So what? What a great idea! And
4: you need to be really hard on the higher branches because then uh, if you, if if you don't cut them back really hard, your lower branches will weaken, mm. um, which is a normal process for a tree. But obviously, with an aspalia, you don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So when you're pruning them, tough on the top. Yeah, and,
5: and the,
3: wa- the water shoots are a big problem too. Uh, not a problem, but. <clears throat> a lot of the work comes from sort of maintaining the water shoots. Over,
4: do you, do you prune them in summer at all? Or I should. I didn't get around to yeah. it this year. Normally I do them in February, mm. late late January, early you, February, just just when you can start to see the <coughs> fruiting spurs. Mm. But, but even yeah. even I've done
3: a crab apple on a sort of a front veranda, and there's about 14, 14 of them planted yeah. along this balcony on the front veranda, and. You prune off the water shoots at the top, yeah. and within a couple of weeks they're like they're back again,
4: four or five inches long, and it's like did yeah. I do that, or did I just yeah. dream that I did that? And uh, ideally, I mean, if, if this wasn't such a big, big job for mm. me, I would say if I had a couple of them in the backyard, I'd be pruning them constantly. Yeah,
3: mm. yeah,
4: pruning them like a like
3: bonsaiing them almost. Yeah, a, that's right. A tip. Clipping the tips out as soon as they emerge, yep. yeah. I've often yep.
2: thought about espalier, and I've always thought it's just big bonsai, yeah, basically. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Big, big niwaki. Big yeah. <laughs> niwaki. <laughs>
4: but not bonsai, no. What's niwaki? Niwaki is the, is the training trees in the ground. Oh, okay. So when you see those Japanese pines or mm. that are all training, that's niwaki. So that's touching the top, but not pruning the bottom. There's no rope creating involved, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there's no pot involved, but it also, it's it's not such a complex art form. No. Yeah. No. Oh, it sounds
1: fascinating. I've never heard of it. I have to look it up. So oh, you
4: can, um, if you go to Japan, you see them yep. balled up in Hessian. Yeah, okay. For sale. Yeah. they big things. They're, they're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, wonderful. Um, now, I suppose we should invite our listeners to join us if you've got a question. As I mentioned, today is a fantastic day to do it. Lots of uh, knowledge sitting here in the studio with me. Um, so if you've got a question or even just a comment, um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can call us on nine four one nine zero one double five. So, um, Greg, let's get back to uh, talking a little bit more about uh, fungi and you've got a tray full of exciting goodies
5: there. Yeah, well, I've, I've
3: bought some, some bulbs along as well, mm-hmm. uh, some flowers. I, I, uh, in the past, I always bring along stuff I've had in the nursery, so yep. they're in nice little pots I can bring along a growing plant. And because I don't do that anymore, I've only got big stock pots and I was looking last night to see if what was happening out, out, outside and, you know, to b- bring in one of these flowers, I'd have to bring in like a 14-inch tub <laughs> full of them. And I thought, well, it's probably going to get a bit heavy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. So I, I thought I'd... Uh, I don't like doing it, but I, I've picked some flowers instead rather than uh, bringing massive big pots in. Um, so I, I guess one of the, the first ones I'll... glad
1: you picked that one. So dainty. Uh, uh, there's a couple
3: of crocus. Some of the autumn crocuses are, fl- are flowering, Um and this one is Crocus turn turnfortii, and it's a little reminiscent, I guess, of Crocus sativus, the saffron crocus, in its um, the the stigma on on the thing's quite large. Obvious, yeah. But it's one that Dr Zeus has designed because I'm not sure if you can see it there, but it's very heavily divided.
1: Oh, absolutely! It looks like <coughs> a mini tree. Yeah. It?
3: So it's it's a challenge to pollinate too, to get try and get seed off too, because you've got to get pollen on those little filaments on the end, and it's split uh, quite a lot as it gets closer to the tip. Um, so the, the flower itself's just a, a fairly pale mauve colour, um, but the, the stigma in the middle is this bright orange. Uh, as I say, it's like something Dr. Zeus designed. It's mm. this big sort of curly split uh, stigma. Um, and because it's quite warm in here, luckily all the crocuses have opened up. Um, so that, as I say, because it's... A, Reasonably plain flower when it's closed, yep. but um, those the stigma pokes up through the the, the top of the bud even when it's closed, so you've, you've got the it's sort of peeking out.
1: And you can't use those as saffron. <coughs> They're
3: actually not that closely related. Okay. It's just it, as I say, it's just sort of remnant of it. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it's not one of the ones I don't so think you can use for, yeah. for saffron. Um, uh, another crocus I've bought in is crocus livigatus. I think that's how you pronounce it. And this is one of the ones, uh, probably my favourite type of crocus are the ones that have the really nice outer petals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you can enjoy them when they're closed at night time. They're almost uh, more beautiful yeah, than yeah, when they're yeah, yeah. open. Yeah. So, so you, you can enjoy them from the moment they pop their butt out of the ground probably, until they just about had it, yeah. where a lot of the other crocuses only open during the day. So uh, some of the winter flowering ones, you often don't get to see open at all because it might be... Um, you know, the te- daytime temperatures might be five degrees and no sunlight for three weeks and they need sunlight to open. Yeah. So y- you go out every day and y- the only way you get to see them is if you brought the pot inside and stuck it near the fire and they'll open up. Um, so crocus liver goddess, again, it's it's a mid sort of uh, uh, purple-lavender sort of colour um, but it's got dark purple stripes on the outside um, so it 's it 's one of those beautiful crocuses, and this is a really good doer too it grow it 's easy to grow from seed mm-hmm. um, and it multiplies really well too so you can get nice big clumps of this, especially if you sow some of that seed yeah um, you can get quite big but, you know i 've got three or four fourteen inch tubs mm-hmm. uh, full of them yeah. um, and it 's just it 's not not a big crocus but it 's uh very a uh, very good doer and Sweet. and and does and does well yeah, yeah. um this is uh, probably one of my last autumn flowering colchicums. Uh, it's colchicum uh, silicicum. And I love colchicums. One of the first bulbs, uh, the garden I grew up in in Mount Masson is a very old one. And these these flowers would come up in the ground in autumn and then just completely disappear. And it's like, where, where did they come from? Where did <laughs> they go? And it was, it, uh, it was probably one of the first plants I identified as like an eight-year-old yeah. kid figuring out what these things were. Yeah. And I didn't associate the flowers with the foliage that came much later in the season, Mm -hmm. so uh, it was actually really tricky to find out what they were. Um, And colchicums are one of those things where you can have five of them and you've probably covered most of the genus. Okay. But I I do like them a lot, so I've got about 30 or 40 of them, different species. And if they didn't have tags, I don't think I could tell them apart, even (laughs) though I've grown them for years. (laughs) Um, This is one of the ones I probably could because it's a little bit more... Um, of an individual in the species it's, it's uh, uh, there's uh, some faint white stripes up the centre of the flower it's fairly thin peddled um, it almost
1: looks like a starfish when you Yeah, the yeah. yeah.
3: A- and the main difference uh, often the crocuses, the autumn flowering crocuses and the colchicums are often confused um, and the easiest way to tell the difference between the two is uh, the crocuses are in the iris family mm-hmm. so they've got Uh, three anthers and the style the stigma is usually split into three Mm -hmm. although in the turn 40 it's not um, where the colchicums have six anthers. Mm -hmm. So the the easiest ways to look in, if it's got six anthers it's a colchicum, if it's got three it's a crocus. Yeah.
1: And what sort of growing environment do these guys like?
3: Well the beautiful thing about most of the crocuses and colchicums is they come from very similar climate to what we have in central Victoria Mm -hmm. or most of Victoria. Um, so the ones that do the best come from very, like, Greece and uh, Turkey. At, um, lower at, at lower altitudes. At lower altitudes. The ones that have the much hotter, drier summers. Yeah. Yeah. And often the better ones that do well in Australia are the autumn flowering ones, mm-hmm. um, where the ones that you get that are, well, here they're winter flowering, but probably in their natural habitat they're actually spring flowering. Yeah. And, and the true spring flowering ones um, tend to like more water in spring, because they're they're sort of growing off snow melt and things like that up in higher altitudes in the mountains, so they're often frozen almost completely solid in the ground for most of winter, and then as the snow and the ground melts uh, going into spring, they burst into life and quickly do Mm. their thing and then die down as it gets really hot in summer again. Um, But yeah, any of the autumn flowering crocuses are quite easy here. Um,
1: And in pots in the ground...
3: Uh, I think Colchicum's generally better in the ground. Mm-hmm. They actually qu- kind of uh, like it fairly deep. Yep. Um, I remember moving out of my childhood home and digging up some colchicum agrippinum to take with me, and those had been in the ground for at least 80 to 100 years, Whoa. and i dug down the best part of probably 50 centimetres to mm-hmm. find, start finding the bulbs, and... That's a fair way down when you're digging up bulbs. It's uh, um, and they're quite small bulbs too. The Colchicum grippan, they're you know little, a few centimetres long. Um, I
4: I think in Australia that you need to bury bulbs deep. Yeah. Yep. uh, um, To to get the coolness. Yeah, so they don't bake. That's right, and I I think people don't bury them deep enough as a rule because if you find, as you just said, if you leave them in the ground for a long time, they pull themselves down. They pull themselves down, down, yeah. Yeah. And
3: and a lot of the... So the tulips, for instance, that have retractile roots uh, and colchicums do as well, um, they find their own depth that they're happy with. Mm -hmm. um, And a lot of that's got to do with where they come from in the wild being fairly sandy, well-drained soils that can wash away in floods quite easily as well. And so a lot of the tulips uh, have evolved themselves to pull themselves down to the soil so they don't get it's washed clever. away in flood waters as well, often. Yeah, yeah. Um, Who says plants aren't clever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and so the colchicum is much better in the ground. Yeah. Um, although I grow most of mine in pots so the tags don't so get lost are, and then I yeah. can identify them yeah, still. Yeah, but um, so a, a deep pot then? I yeah, a nice yep. deep pot. Yep. The, the citrus pots, the big, deep, oh, yeah. square citrus pots, they yep. I um, they're one of my favourite to pots to plant things, uh, like colchicums. Yep. And a lot of the crocuses can go fairly deep in the ground too. So when I say like a good depth for a colchicum in the ground's uh at least 10 to 15 centimetres. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd probably go the same for crocuses, but maybe a little bit shallower. And it depends on the species too, obviously. Um, some of the colder climate ones... Can cope with being a little bit shallower. Yeah, sure. But um, yeah, the, the dry climate ones like it
4: deep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so when you're growing them in pots, Greg, what do you do over the dormancy? I mean, my experience of bulbs is that that's the most difficult period. I, I do nothing.
6: You yeah. don't water them at all? No, no. Never. Never water. Never. Yeah.
3: Again, it depends. Some species don't want to dry out. Yeah. And they certainly don't want to, most of them don't want to bake. Yeah. Um, and so in the shade? Yeah, dry, dry shade's probably the best thing. Yeah, um, so you I mean, move
4: all the pots into the shade over the summer.
3: Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I'd, I'd <laughs> say i grow them underneath deciduous the trees. Okay. So I don't have to move the pots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, and, and when you've got the amount of pots that I've got too, so you don't want to... You want to shift them as little as possible. Yeah. Um, and what about food? I, I'm, I don't feed them a lot. I pro- right. probably actually should feed them more, to be honest, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, nitrogens are not a good idea for yeah. most of the bulbs yeah. so you want very low doses of nitrogen if you know almost none at all but um they like a little bit yeah. and that's another good reason to grow them in the ground if you can is because most soils have enough for them yeah. without having to really give them much more if, if it's you know you're putting a bit of organic matter on there it's probably enough um but phosphates and uh, potassium are the critical thing in pots yep. to, to get the bulbs big and and encourage them to flower
4: i always uh, think feeding pots is something that's really misunderstood
3: mm. with yeah, it 's actually quite hard too for, for those sorts of things that where you know if you 're growing um, something for its foliage, you just put nitrogen you know yeah. some sort of nitrogen fertilizer on there, organic fertilizer's not great in pots because it sort of it sours, clogs up the pot and, it clogs up the pot and sours right. it a little bit yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, for things that don't like nitrogen so much, it can get a little bit more tricky. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not great at that, to be honest. Okay. In, in the pots, yeah, I, yeah. I tend to... Start, I think starving them's better than overfeeding them. Okay. A, a little bit with the fertilisers. Yeah, so, I'm but, a bit but, of a cereal feeder. But all right. <laughs> but, but as I say, with the bulbs, you've got to be careful of the, the nitrogen. Yeah. If you put too much nitrogen on there, you can get in some... But as you say, like... In pots, just a, a small dose of osmocote's probably yep. as much as you need, or, or some sort of slow release. As long as you osmocots. remember to reapply it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Yep. Like if it's three month osmocote, when the three months is up, then you really ready yeah. to put another handful and, on.
3: And for s- some dormant bulbs, there's no point feeding them at the end of spring.
4: That's right. And there's also <laughs> the, also the myth that you should be feeding them when they're going down whereas I think that you should be feeding them when they're in full growth yeah. rather than towards the yeah. end of the season when they're
5: declining.
3: Yeah. Uh, but I think it does depend a little bit on what... For, so, for instance, a foliar feed of uh, potassium, which is quite um, soluble, yeah. uh, towards the end of the season. yeah, Not not right as... But uh, not when they're not, declining. No, 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 not when they're starting yeah. to go down. But uh, foliar feed while they're, you know, from the peak on the downward side yep. of their growing season... Um, I think it's a pretty good time I've read it's a, the best time to feed them potassium yep. um, but nitrogen on the other hand is something you want to give them as soon as they sort of pop their roots out yep. uh, even before the
4: because
5: the flower is already formed in anyway. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about soil? Like if you got them in the soil, I assume heavy clay is not going to do it for them.
3: Well, it depends on the bulb too. There's, um, for instance, there's South African species gladis mm-hmm. that quite like heavy soils that get really wet in winter. Uh, Gladiolus tristus and mm-hmm. lilacius are good examples of those. So they're more floodplain, so they're in quite heavy silty soils yep. that haven't got a lot of good drainage yep. and they're in floodplains so they love that excess of water while they're growing mm-hmm. but they also want to dry out when they're not growing. Yep. Um, so if you think of a floodplain in South Africa, it's probably very similar to a floodplain in Australia yep. um, hmm. and so they can handle the heavier soils, they okay. don't need that well-drained soil as long as they dry out yep. and the problem comes is if that soil gets wet during the dry spell that that can be a problem yeah. because the bulbs will still rot if they get too wet yeah. uh, in their dormancy. But yeah, a lot of the a lot of the bulbs like well drained soil. So yeah. potting mix, you you get good quality premium potting mix, and I often add a little bit of scoria mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, um,
4: pumice is fantastic.
3: And pumice, yeah, you yeah. know something fairly inert, and yeah. Yeah. that's not going to leach anything out into the soil that they don't really like. Yeah, um, sure. And yeah, you just so I I get some red scoria and just mix that up with the potting mix if if it's something that I know you know easily rots if it gets too much water in, yeah. The, in summer.
4: Yeah. yeah. Well, what I found the difference between scoria and pumice and potting mix is sort of my thing because of my bonsai mm. is that scoria holds a lot more water yep. than pumice. So you need to, if you're using scoria, you need to hold back on the watering yep. more than if you're using pumice. No, I pumice is fantastic.
3: Scoria is much easier to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the main reason I use Yeah. yeah. You need me um, in the bonsai but, and the other, to get pumice. Well, the other thing is too, and I'm not sure if pumice does this, but when potting mix dries out, it's often really hard to get water back into it. And the one thing with scoria, if there's a lot of scoria in the potting mix, same. it's yeah. not aquaphobic at all yeah. you know, yeah. so if it's, it can be sitting there bone dry for months and as soon as you put water
4: on it the water yeah. just goes straight through yeah. and, same and doesn't the create those pockets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've just started using pumice with my trees for the last few years and the, the root growth is phenomenal. Yeah
3: where, where do you get uh, the pumice um, from?
4: There's a guy in um, Footscray who's a stonemason that imports it okay. in various grades and yep. he sells it within the bonsai community. Okay, right. But I also use it for dressings for seeds. Yeah, I, I, I get pretty fanatic about the scurrier. Uh,
3: yeah. Finding, when you go to a sand and soil place and they've got something that you don't see at every sand and soil place <laughs> and you go, that'd be great. And you yeah. go in and get a, you know, just, uh, they often just say, I'll oh, just take it because they usually sell it by the trailer load yeah. and yeah. I just want a bucket just this a bucket, big. Yeah, yeah for and your seeds. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. seeds or yeah. something. And I yeah. sit there sieving it and washing it. and yeah. uh, getting it into different grades and then remixing it back in layers in the seed pots and things. Yeah, it's,
5: yeah. it's pretty nerdy. I
1: think there's a word for you. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> Look, that's what the nursery industry oh, used totally, to be. Yeah, yeah. And that's just changed. Yeah.
5: yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Ab Bishop, and with me in the studio are James, BT, Craig Wilson, and Greg Balderson. If you would like to uh, ask a question or have a comment for us, you can call us on 941901 9 double five. So let's go to James. What have you been up to? I know you've been um, rehashing a lot of people's gardens. Yeah. Impatiently waiting for things to grow. Well, we
2: were talking about the dry and the warmth earlier. And um, despite the fact that there's not a lot of rain around, the soil is still really warm. So I'm I'm doing a lot of shifting of plants in clients' gardens and then turning the hose on them for a good hour to give them a good soaking. Um, And everything that I've shifted as well as planted in the last probably two months has established really really well because it's been so unseasonably warm as long as you can keep the water up to them um, so next next spring and summer and autumn are going to be really great in those gardens and all those plants that I've shifted are going to settle in really well and and have a have a great year next year hopefully if we get decent rain <laughs> over winter but i'm just i've got this creeping suspicion that i don't know we could be heading into another Another bit of a drought cycle, um, yeah. so we we had that one year in Melbourne where we just didn't get winter rain, and it kicked off the kicked off the ten year drought and oh, I feel like it's I feel like we're in danger of Getting it happening again that, right? yeah. yeah so
3: there's no signs anymore, is there it's just sort of all over the shop yeah. it's yes. used to yeah, to think right. oh, if it's like this it'll be like this, but it it doesn't work anymore. It's more. just really that's unpredictable. Just,
2: yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, yeah. But climate change is a left-wing conspiracy anyway. <laughs> so it's <just> not, yeah. But the weather patterns we're getting are exactly what's been predicted. That's right, yeah. Which is
4: unpredictability. that's right. It shouldn't be a big surprise, mm. especially mm. in southeastern Australia. Mm, that's so right. right. Mm.
1: So um, you've been, um, yeah, I've been following you on Instagram, just uh, seeing all the, the gardens that people have bravely given over to you. <laughs> Although <laughs> I shouldn't say that because I would give my garden over to you. So and you've just been pulling them out and replanting and.
2: Yeah, you, yeah. I seem to have a knack for turning up to people's places and say, <laughs> this is this isn't working. We've got to just rip all this out and is start just again. Just random <laughs> people or people you know? Well, yeah, you know, it's like cold calling. You just go and knock on someone's door and then <laughs> no, but. Um, but it's been, look, it's been really, really good. Um I'm, I'm about to break ground on a couple of um, sensory gardens as well. One's for an aged care facility and another one's for a dementia ward at a, mm-hmm. at a hospital. Um, and I'm hoping to get one of them finished next week and the other one keeps on getting pushed back a little bit. Um, but they're coming together. And that's really, um, that's been really good work um, to do because as opposed to just, you know, gardening for other people and enjoying it for the pleasure of, there's actually a therapeutic reason um, to have, have gardens in facilities like that. Mm. And and one of the issues that I was talking to um, to the aged care facility people about was that a lot of people going into aged care now, they're, they're undeniably the gardening generation. Mm. Yeah. And they get put into these homes where the gardens are just utter crap to non-existent. Yeah. yeah. yeah and these are these are these are the kind of facilities where people are going to spend their last years, you know, and it's just you know i'd I'd get clinical depression just yeah. looking out of the windows yeah. of those places because yeah. the gardens are uh,
4: and formiums, terrible and just for awful for, what, for yeah.
2: what you get out of it, it's not that
3: expensive either to, no like it's a it's really right. cheap way to make people's life to, have to make so a big much difference. More quality yeah
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. yep. And I ran, into, um, I ran into Stephen Wells at MIFCAS mm. this year and yep. was telling him about a couple of the projects that I was doing because he's the horticultural therapist at um, the Royal Talbot and he said that there was a, I think it was a friend of his who, who did a sensory garden for an aged care facility and there was a resident who had moved in about six months before they finished the garden and she'd been completely non-verbal for six months Her daughter would come and visit her a couple of times a week, and after they finished the garden and her daughter was wheeling her out into the space, she turned to her daughter and said, "Did you bring the snips with you?" And Mm -hmm. her daughter (laughs) just burst into tears. So that's the power of gardening, you know, and especially especially in those kind of facilities and Mm. things. And um, Stephen's garden it can make a big difference.
1: Exquisite, aren't they?
2: Yeah, they are. Yeah, Yeah. he's he's a great combiner of plants. That one. so yeah, I'm looking forward to getting, getting more involved with, um, with those couple of gardens mm-hmm. and, and the residents as well. So with the, with the aged care facility garden that I'm doing, um, I've consulted a bit with the residents to ask about, you know, what plants would you like to see in the garden? And, you know, a couple of them want to interact with the garden. So yeah. we're going to put in a couple of roses and things that they can prune and deadhead yeah. and, um so get you know get so a little they'll be bit physically active in the garden as well. yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. so yeah. what what sort of things
4: were they looking for well <laughs> i suppose that's a big question
2: yeah yeah there weren't necessarily a lot of you know i, I don't want to sound like a like a judgy snooty kind of gardening guy here but um <laughs> But one of them, one of the, one of the residents said, "Oh, I do love, I do love Mariah Paniculata. And I thought, well, you know, we're definitely not putting that in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Judge is dirty. laughs> um
4: But, but I, I wonder
1: why th- they like. I wonder what that association for them is, because we perfume? have, yeah, we have such. It an would definitely be the perfume. Yeah,
2: yeah for so sure. Give them some Philadelphus. <laughs> well, I was actually thinking Philadelphus instead. Yeah. 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 So. Um, but, but lots of lots of scented plants um, and lots of color um, the oldies seem to really love their annuals as well yeah. so i 've had to work a couple of containers into the design that we can put seasonal annuals yeah. into. Yeah. Um, because they really look, and they are they are good value. You know, there's you know that was my grandfather's style of gardening—just annuals, annuals yeah. and roses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
5: but he was in it all day. But
4: yeah. that's what he did. Yeah. yeah, sort of Victorian, isn't it? There's a guy
2: down the street from us in an old Victorian place that he did up. He did a really, really good job. But yeah. all he plants is annuals, and it does yeah. my head in every time I'm out walking yeah. the dog. I just want to say to him, just plants. <laughs> it it sounds, sounds like perennials or something, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah. Look and, and you know, ticking all those boxes for the for the residents there and giving them something that they really want um and that they're gonna interact with. And that, that's um the that one another aspect of that kind of therapeutic garden um design is that it's it, it creates a good environment for visitors that come to see their relatives at these facilities as well. Because often mm. people won't people won't take their kids to You know, an old folks home because it smells. It smells like a disinfectant, and Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not a very pleasant environment for kids. But if you, you know, ameliorate what was a non-existent garden into a nice space, um, you'll often find that more family are going to come and visit, and you're going to get more visitors coming in to visit their relatives because. It, it's a much more pleasant space to be yeah. for them as yeah. well so yeah. it's it's more it's more than just the residents i guess yeah. yeah
1: and i think maybe it also sort of breaks down i mean it can be a really difficult time and helping people relax just being outside in a sort of um that kind of environment mm. Mm. Um, very different to being inside where you're you know it's obvious that you're sick or getting old and um, yeah, it's sort of a bit of a depressing environment, but being mm. outside, getting some fresh air into you, and yeah, being surrounded by lovely plants. Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Mm. And when I think of my my grandparents and my parents, I mean they're crazy gardeners. Yeah. So they would love that. Yeah. yeah to be able to just go outside and see something that's properly maintained and
2: absolutely. Yeah. One of the projects um, has capacity for a for a much larger kind of internal courtyard at some point in the next 12 months. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to do um, was put in a put in a picking garden for them that the residents could go out for and, flowers. and pick their oh. pick flowers oh, yeah. for their rooms yeah. you know and and try and hit that as as much yeah. as you can for the warmer months, especially yeah. So, getting a lot of stuff that's going to be really free, free flowering, and and have a long vase life, and yeah. uh, lots of asters. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. and and things like cosmos at this time of year as yeah. well. That they're, they're a fabulous cut flower. Yeah. They, they last ages, yeah. um, and they and they're really fl- free flowering. They're very very giving plants. Yeah. Um, so, having having those kinds of elements that that really foster interaction, mm. um, uh, are something I'd like to do more of with those kind of gardens. Yep. Yeah.
1: Any yeah. veggies?
2: One of them has, I'm going to do, be doing a, a couple of large kind of herb planters, mm-hmm. um, but no, no veggies per se, mm-hmm. um, and with with the dementia ward garden, I've had to be very careful about the toxicity of plants and things as well, in case the residents, um, you know, you know, eat them. So you're yep. not planting monkshood. So. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, no. Uh, no hemlock or anything like that. That's for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah. So so stuff that's going to have aroma about it, but not things that are going to encourage the residents to. Maybe start eating the plants that are there, you know, even though none of them are going to be, uh, going to be any threat to them. Um, yeah. that was that was one of the parts of the brief was that you know we want something that looks nice, but you know we don't we don't want the the residents. Using it as a you know source of food or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Don't, we don't want to encourage them to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Do they make their own food in these places, or is that supplied to them? So. It's like,
2: it's yeah. all through through a central kitchen yeah. essentially. Yeah. So
1: they can go in and make something themselves. And, yeah. yeah. So it's
2: cooked yeah. on site. It's not cooked
4: chilled where it comes in advance. No. And it. No. Okay. Yeah.
2: That's oh. right. So.
1: Okay. So yeah, it's um, yeah it's interesting, isn't it? You kind of. Um, I don't know, just to get them out and have that interaction. But I suppose if some of them are into veggies, mm. that, that that would be more of encouragement to get them outside. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, planting herbs, that sort of thing. Mm.
4: You need an awful lot of vegetables. Yeah, that that is true. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. But I guess sometimes it's just that. I um, could just put zucchinis in that. Mm. A lot of bang for your <laughs> buck <butt> with zucchinis.
2: <laughs> I grew that trombocino one that Digger's really wax lyrical about one year, and yeah. that was the most prolific cucurbit I've ever grown in my entire life. Right. I just took over the side of my house. Yeah. And dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of fruit off it. Just amazing. Yeah. yeah.
1: I always grow blackjack because for some reason in our area it's um, yeah it's fantastic. Plus I used to have a dog called Blackjack. Me gambling me. edition, no, not at all, not, not at all, not at all. Um, but yeah, and and same, just just kept giving and giving and giving, had mm. to make zucchini pickles, and um, yeah, it was um, I only just recently take them out. They had they got a bit of um mildew a while back, but and I was went out one day to go and um, take them out. I only had two plants, which mm. you know was perfectly enough for for Ray and I, and um, the little wrens were having an absolute feast, and I was just like, oh, you can have them, you know. I'll right, leave right. them there for a few more weeks. They were hopping around the leaves and carrying on, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it, right. was, it was just wonderful to see.
2: I planted two zucchinis right next to each other this year, yeah. and one went one way and one went the other way, yeah. and it was... I'm going to grow them like that every year from now on. Really economical use of space, because you know how big they get. Yeah. yeah. And I don't have a massive amount of space in our backyard. Um, and I've got this one round planter. It's probably about a metre in diameter. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to be struggling to, you know, grow any more than one in there. But I thought, if I whack them in side by side, see how they go. Yeah. And it worked a treat. Yeah. 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 So I doubled my yield and use the same amount of space as what I would usually for one plant. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. lovely. Yeah. Um, so how is your garden going? Because I know you did a complete makeover, mm. was that a year ago? Maybe, yeah, about yeah. a year
2: and a half ago now. Yeah. yeah. And the
1: space is all working well?
2: It's all working really, really well. Um, it's a very, it's a very um, I, I guess it's a, you could say it's a very kind of ephemeral garden because um, the back garden is totally productive. Um, there's some pots and things with some ornamentals in them, um, but it's, it's mainly a productive space because it's a north facing backyard and I've always enjoyed growing veggies, so I thought, all right. So it's basically a whole series of beds and trellises mm-hmm. for, for growing stuff up. Um, have you got raised beds for your veggies? Or? Yeah, they are raised beds. And look, I really wanted to, I really wanted to have the beds in the ground because I think I think raised beds as a design element are just so overdone. You know, there's, yeah. no, there's nothing more utilitarian than digging a garden bed in a backyard in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon it's you know raised beds have become the the fashion a lot oh, in absolutely. the last yeah, 20, yeah, 20 yeah, years. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whereas you know gardening always used to happen at the ground level, but for reasons of necessity, um, um, I had to, I had to use I had to use raised beds. Um, but it looks great, um, and I, I seem to preempt all the bloody preponderance of Corten steel at Mifcus this year because I used a lot of it in the garden that I did a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, and that's all rusted up and weathered really Beautiful. beautifully now. Um, I used a lot of um, really nice... Uh, um, Plantation hardwood, native hardwood timber for frames and things as well, and that's all started to silver and grey now, um, and contrasts really well with the rusty colours, and we got the house painted to match the back garden as well, (laughs) 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 so we had it use on a lot of grey tones um, to kind of offset the the rustiness, but look, look, it's going really well. one thing I've had a huge amount of trouble with this year, and Michael and I are debating constantly about what we're going to do and whether or not we're going to bother trying to establish our... Um, we had an idea to establish a citrus hedge down one side of the house. So sourced our citrus, make sure we got the right rootstock for our area, planted it at the right time, gave it everything it needed, flurry of growth that took off in spring, looked really, really good throughout summer... Had a closer look about three or four weeks ago at all the current season's growth, and it is riddled with gall wasps. Ah, goddamn! And to, to the point where I, I will have to cut off all of the current season's growth to get rid of the gall wasps. So, so we're thinking do we even bother trying to grow this bloody citrus here? Fejoas. Yeah. Yeah. Do we put something else in instead, <laughs> yeah. like Fejoas yeah. or something? I love you know? yeah. yeah, And they're in full fruit at the moment. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's so really delicious. Yeah. They're really yeah. yum. Yeah. I've got a client who has one and yeah. there were all these windfalls on the ground last time I was there and I bunched them all up in my shirt and I took them up to her and I said just in your garden it's great. And she went, oh I don't like them, do you want to take them? yeah right.
4: I had one in my garden, it was great, called Kiwi Mammoth which I bought from um, Woodbank Nursery, I think it was in their last catalogue in Tasmania, and it was incredible, huge fruit, mm. and they, that sort of jelly inside, you know, not not woody at all. Yep, mm, um, nice. But I never did cuttings off it. Mm. Such a shame.
2: All oh, the, the way. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's, uh, you know, I, just, I wonder with the with with the numbers of, um, of gall wasp that we are getting now, you know, is, is, is citrus a terribly climate appropriate? plant Mm. to be putting Mm. in your backyard i mean everyone wants a lemon tree but Mm. i mean we we had to basically in establishing a citrus a citrus hedge you know you want to put in a plant that's not too big and we cut it back once we put it in so i guess i guess if you got an established tree that was grown um free of gall wasp Mm. then you've got a chance to get it started and you're not having to cut all of the growth back Mm. Um, but trying to try to grow a fan or something like yeah. that with yeah. it... Um, it would be all through the neighbourhood, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's right. And that's a
1: problem, so so many yeah. people don't control it. Mm. Well, um, I'm pleased to say we actually do have a call. I was starting to worry about the phones for a second. So uh, we're going to go to uh, Gloria in Berlin. Good morning, Gloria.
7: Oh, good morning, AB. Um, yeah, it's just too interesting. That's why people are
1: calling. <laughs> oh, no, I was really wondering. I was like, oh, the
7: phone's working this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, the gall, just on that last point about the gall, uh, people I know just don't cut it out. But what happens if you don't cut it out? I mean, a lot of people just go, what the heck, leave it.
2: The tree will still grow and still fruit to an extent, but nowhere near as vigorous or as happily as it would if it was free of the gall wasp. Okay. Um, And it, and it leaves it open to, you know, and once, once the tree's weak, it leaves it open to other, mm-hmm. other, other diseases. diseases. And, yeah, right. so...
7: Like
2: what? <clears throat> um, well, you can get a lot of scale as well. You often get scale in association with really bad gall wasp infections. Mm. Whereas most of the time, citrus are reasonably good if they're growing healthily um, <laughs> at keeping things like scale at bay. Um, especially down here in the in the temperate regions. Um, not so much in the subtropics. But uh, we're in Melbourne, so mm. we'll just leave it there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, interesting. And, and uh, we we think the only way that we are going to get around it is to completely net them for the first few years of their life, and that's just going to look atrocious. And I, I don't think I can I don't think I can bring myself to do that. Yeah,
7: sure. um, yeah I'm lucky so far. Said that I've got something eating <coughs> one of my lemonade trees, mm-hmm. just <laughs> having a feast.
2: Right. So chewing on the leaves, or
7: oh, just almost all the leaves have gone. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a lot good. of chewing. Yeah, that and is. A lot of chewing, yeah. What would that be? It's not going for the others.
4: A possum? Could be, yeah. Hmm. I mean, my, my experience with possums and citruses is so they just like the skin, but, mmm.
7: No, but there's no, there's no, I mean... It's
4: defoliated.
7: It's a young, it's a young one. Mm. And yeah.
5: it's
7: next to a lemonade and it's next to a lemon. That's not why I called, um, <laughs> actually. Uh, but I was curious about the picking garden because i've just cleared a spot that i've had vegetables on Mm -hmm. but i'm actually i was rather attracted to the idea of having a picking garden so james Mm -hmm. what would you put in a picking garden you were thinking of flowers yes
2: yeah yeah definitely um So anything that's going to have a really long shelf life in a vase and that's going to flower really freely. And you also want to think about seasonality with something in a picking garden as well. Um, And there are several annuals that are your friend in that regard as well. Um, At the moment, I'm waiting for more... Reliable, well, any bloody rain to start falling at the moment, because I always love to sow the Western Australian paper daisies at this time of year. Because because once we get once we get reliable moisture coming from the sky over winter, um, you sow you sow the rhodanthe seed and you just leave it to its own devices mm. and you get a show-stopping flowering in spring.
7: <laughs> I have to tell you, I had a fellow come in who's an Australian plant specialist. <laughs> Um, and he looked at a garden I had um, under the jacaranda tree oh perfect for the baby daisies yep, we tried,
2: and <laughs> oh, it didn't work or nothing. yeah, okay, right
7: anyway, anyway that's beside the point
2: but look they they as a as a native annual, they last really well um in a vase um but thinking about summer species um there's there's quite a few things that um that bulbs as well that would last quite okay as, okay. A, as a as a vase specimen. Gladioli it right. would be fantastic. Gladioli yeah. and yeah. The, some of the Watsonia cultivars yeah. as well. Um, and you can remove the flowers from them and it doesn't seem to affect the following year's flowers. Watsonia. Watsonia. Mm. Some of the
4: Watsonia althroides and some of the, the yeah. non-invasive species. A
2: few
3: of the species, gladis which... Uh, are quite prolific yeah. flower well are actually, also scented at night as well
7: I have some that I bought from Craig the little ones that have done brilliantly in a garden that never gets water yeah
4: that's right, well they don't need water it would be glavioli can yes, probably something mm. probably some that's, pink that's with a that's dark throat yeah. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. I
7: kept saying but Craig but, it's the driest spot in Australia It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. it's fine so anyway this won't be a dry spot though
3: uh. Another good thing is foliage too Um, So just for instance Something like a red stem dogwood That Mm. you coppice quite hard
7: Say that again Red
3: Uh, red stem dogwood Um, So you can pick it as a foliage uh, For foliage arrangements or, Or as foliage in an arrangement During the warmer months While it's in leaf and you've also got these beautiful red canes. If there's anything left They're in winter, mm-hmm. yeah. Good idea. So that's something you can pick all, you know, pretty much all through the year. And it does give you different things during the year as well. Like what? Uh, so as I say, in its growing season, it's quite an attractive foliage plant.
7: And how big is that correctly?
3: Um, a big plant can grow if it's well watered. Yep. I've seen them get uh, put on eight feet in okay. in a season. Okay,
7: so it's like a, a little. It's a tree.
3: Uh, but, but it's, you coppice it. You coppice it, you cut it to the ground every year. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of, at the end of winter, just before it starts to shoot, you hack the whole thing back down to the ground, Uh uh, or a foot, a foot or so from the ground. Um, and an established plant, uh, can get, you know, 40, 50, 60 shoots that have potential of getting up to six, eight feet tall. Wow, you know, two or three that sounds very interesting mm-hmm. um, But that, that's assuming they're in, in a good spot And they're getting plenty of water And you don't need to let them get that big either So right. you can take, you know, start when, you, when they start to grow You can use the cut foliage off the sides to, So it doesn't sprawl out so much And then leave the bigger centre canes For winter picking When they're beautiful bright scarlet red in winter Wow,
7: that might be perfect for the spot actually And what sort of space would I need
5: for that?
3: Uh, well, where they come, they actually come from Siberia and quite cold areas, so that uh, they can handle pretty much anything we can throw at them here. Except but the they, dry.
4: But the dry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the dry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that They do need thirsty. to be water. But uh, what sort of space
7: in the garden
4: would I need? <coughs> two by two metres?
5: Yeah, by
3: two I would meters. say so, yeah. yeah. A- and a- as I say, if it's getting a little out of hand, yeah. the reason it's there is to pick it. So um, mm. pick it off the area's... That you don't want it to grow out into first and then move in to the uh, you know so so prune it however you like a, right. as it grows so so at the end of winter you want to cut it down to a solid stump uh, say you know half a metre tall at, at, at most, um, and then it, you know prune it during the season if it's growing where you don't want it, and then you hack it right back down again at the end of the at the end of winter uh, before it starts to shoot.
8: Do you have those? Uh, did you have a nursery?
3: Uh, not anymore. Okay. Um, I, I have you? actually still got some at home. I'm, I'm actually growing them, potentially for for cut flowers sort of thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, they should be reasonably easy to get. Peter Peter have them. Do you
7: mail
3: out? Not not as I say. I only do the mail order bulbs now. So all the plants and things I did I don't do anymore. Actually, David Musker might be another person to ask at Country mm. garden. Um, Where is he? Uh, At Jindavik. Oh, Jindavik. Yeah, and hopefully I, I imported another uh, coloured stem dogwood from uh, uh, what's it? Seeds North, uh, uh, and that is uh, Cornus uh, sanguineus, and it's a coral stem dogwood. So it goes, the the tips of the stems are bright coral orange. And then as you go down the stems on the north side, it's coral red, and on the south side where, it does, where the sun doesn't hit the stem in winter, it goes uh, bright coral yellow. Mm. Okay. So if you walk around it, it changes mm. colour. Wow. And they're amazing, and that gets bright yellow autumn colour, where the red stem dogwood gets a deep claret generally, if it's in a good spot. Mm. Um, and again, it's, it's got a, a much softer green, slightly smaller leaf in the growing season, but uh, I sold a few of them when I w- did have the nursery, but I don't think anyone else has it. So hopefully I've, uh, someone like David has propagated that uh, yep. for the industry or maybe Stephen. Um, I don't know if I gave any to Stephen or not. I, th- hope I hope I did. <laughs> uh, but hopefully someone's uh, propagated some of it and it's, it's in the industry.
7: Red stem dogwood. And who's David?
3: Uh, David Musker is the owner at Gindervik. Oh, Jindervic, uh, uh, right. Do
7: you have a number
3: for him? I uh, don't, not offhand. hand. Uh, I'm sure you could, you could Google uh, David Musker. Yeah, M-U-S-K-E-R. 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 Yeah. Great.
7: Alright, thank you
1: very much lot, Love lot the program Don't need
7: to say that but I love the program
1: <laughs> Good on you Gloria, thanks <laughs> a lot Bye bye And next we'll go to Philippa Good morning Philippa
6: Oh good morning panel um, I'm wondering, I'm sorry I didn't catch the name Because I've only uh, Listened in rather late it's been very interesting but I caught uh, the chap who mentioned pumice uh, I wonder if we could uh, be told where we could obtain some because I'm finding charcoals hard to obtain
4: yeah I wouldn't have a number on me but I can let AB know and can, um, I, and for a future program yeah,
6: so next week Philippa yeah. I'll get oh, the number from Craig and yeah. that'll be marvellous Now, the chap um, who was talking about wasps and his citrus, it was about four years ago. Uh, I have a a lovely north-facing window to um, a a very high brick wall, ten foot two, and the citrus on there. I watched the wasp grab underneath the um, eave a huge, swollen abdomen uh, spider. The um, what's the large one? Huntsman. A huntsman. Um. So there, there she was, ready trying to take care of her soon-to-be family, <laughs> and he he attacked her, and then he dragged her down. I got so intrigued it was beyond my eyesight I had to run outside <laughs> and and watched this wasp <clears throat> drag this huge huntsman into a pre-determined hole in the base underneath where my um drainage my uh, uh sink would be outside and I thought you you little strumpet you <laughs> so I am um, I was listening to um ABC gardening And I noticed on all of my burying citruses, nothing ever attacks the mandarin. So 18 months ago, I peeled the mandarin skins and got all of the oil out of them, put them into a bit of sunflower oil, added um, the Thai peppers, Mm -hmm. um, a bit of garlic, and a drop of the ultra- a dishwashing liquid and then vitamised it up and sprayed all of the citrus having removed part of my beautiful I love the the Lisbon lemon the oil in the leaves let alone the skin and how did that, that go did that was that
2: effective at controlling gall wasp infection I, or
6: I can tell you having cut out half of that particular tree this year I have no gall wasp in all of the four mm. that I've got but I've seen the wasps around, but they won't go there. But there's a secondary thing to this as well. I've got quite a few cement circular, eight foot deep watering bowls I have in the garden, as well as a larger deep one for the birds to bathe in. I have Maggie bringing her family five years now and the cockatoos brought his girlfriend along <laughs> and what I've noticed is the smaller birds, I don't know what they're called, they're brown but with the yellow fleck in the wing, sorry they're black and grey and white, very small about you, you mean, yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
6: and and they are they are really attacking my little yellow eyes and I don't have the mosquitoes anymore. I don't have any problems at the and the wasps are dissipating. So if you'd like to try that and mm. prove me wrong I'm interested. and I'll listen in for the pumice.
2: I'm interested about the um about the mandarin mm. idea. Yeah.
6: It's because the oil in, oil in in, it, it, in a yeah. mm. Mm. But anyway, you could be, be on
1: something, Philippa. You might need to um,
6: commercialise it.
1: No, make no, I'm, hap-
6: I'm happy for you to do all of oh, okay, that. I'm in, I'm, <laughs> in, I'm in the retirement. Uh,
2: Patent pending. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give, you some, um, give you some of the, uh, the profits that I make.
6: And, and make sure you keep the standard up because that's why we pay and keep. The <laughs>
1: Good on you, Philippa. Thanks. Thanks a Thank lot. Yeah,
4: so fine. is that a thing with mandarins, not getting the gall? I've
2: noticed limes won't be as heavily affected as lemons. Okay, they seem to have a have a preference for for lemons, yep. the citrus gall. wasp, yep. I reckon they they will have a one, they'll go one over the other. Right. Um, so I've noticed different different levels of infection between yep. different varieties of citrus, yep. um, but. Haven't really noticed any that don't get affected by it. K- so, kumquats are another one that don't seem to get it. Yeah. If they if they do get it, it's it's one or two bits here and yeah. there. It's not a lot.
1: I love Philippa's approach, though. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I sometimes think there's a bunch of weeds in my garden which the rabbits don't eat, the wallabies don't eat, and sometimes I think I should just chuck them in the vitamizer mm. and spray them on all the plants that I do actually want. Yeah, and, and see the, what happens. And Philippa's pretty much done that. Mm. Yeah, so, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, so now we should... Oh, I was going to go to Michael, but Michael has disappeared, so he might come back again. Um, yeah, so, but it, and, and, you know, what Philippa was saying about the small birds coming in and, and the, the wasps killing the spider. There's that whole food webs and chains mm. out there, aren't there? And, mm-hmm. and, I mean, if we allow our gardens to um, be a little bit more wild and mm. don't run around with insecticide at every yeah, second absolutely. thing that we see, um, <coughs> nature will basically take care of
4: itself. Na- nature's been doing it for a while. Yeah, that's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and No insecticide. Yeah, that, that's I'd, right. Yeah, if, if something gets infected with insects, then you're growing the wrong plant. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, all right. Well, we've got uh, Michael back now. So, um, good morning, Michael.
9: Ah, oh, yes, good look just quickly. Um, I with the um, the eating off the um, citrus fruits and all uh other other um, fruit uh fruiting plants. Uh, uh what I've done is I've put wire around my um, uh you know, um, smaller plants. Yes. Um, and something's eaten off the top of it. So I suspect, and I can hear them uh, the, uh, at the back here, um, um, bats. I, I've got a feeling it's bats that are eat, eating off mm. the top of the uh, the uh, yeah, f- uh, fruit tree.
1: Oh, well, they'll, they'll, yes, eat the fruit. So the fruit bats will eat the
9: Yeah, fruit no, and... there's, n- there's no fruit on it. Um, mm. But what I've done is I've put wire across the top and it seems to have stopped so I, I suspect that they're, they're, they're the culprits there. No, I don't
1: they, think so they, no they don't eat foliage. So no, 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 and, and the only bats that potentially would, would be the fruit bats, which are into fruit and, and nectar, whereas our micro yeah. bats are into only insects. Mm. Yeah. So mm. so very there's, much
9: there's, there's no way that possums could get up
2: there. I don't know. <laughs> I seen, maybe, yeah. um, seen some pretty nimble possums <laughs> in my time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe the smaller uh, possums, maybe the, the ringy I, I have a theory the ringtails cause more damage than the than brush tails, to be honest. Well, possibly, but, I mean, it, it, it's very flimsy wire sort of thing. So. Yeah,
9: I wonder, right. I wonder, I wonder
4: but if anyway,
1: the rodents just, are getting in there. Mm, yeah,
4: really Rats wouldn't eat foliage. You wouldn't think no, so. No. No. No, yeah,
9: so. Be, but, but maybe because of the dry,
4: Yeah. perhaps,
9: yeah. you know. Um, anyway, it's just a, just a bit of an observation there, yeah. I, you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'll get out of your way.
1: Yeah, <laughs> good
0: on you, Michael. Thanks a lot. Bye. All
9: right, all the best. Cheers.
1: Bye-bye yeah that is interesting but yeah i don't don't think bats i've just been uh doing a lot of uh research on bats for my habitat book mm-hmm. and um yeah gee they're fascinating and it's it's really quite sad that we um are we still on air? I think so I can't say yeah suddenly the machine stopped working to my left here, and I just freaked out but it's good to know that we're still on there Um, yeah just been doing a lot of research on bats and of course because we don't see them because they're nocturnal we don't usually see them don't, i didn 't realize i mean we 've got eighty species well seventy nine species of bats in australia twenty four um, in Victoria, and um, you know of course, most of those are microbats mm-hmm. and there's yeah, seventy species of microbats and nine species of uh, the fruit bats yeah. Which um, is all very interesting. To and the
2: microbats are great for you know keeping insect populations down, keeping mosquito populations yeah, down around yeah, the house yeah. as well. Yeah, um, well, they
1: apparently eat half their body weight. I know some of them are pretty light, but they eat half their body weight in insects every night.
4: You can certainly hear them. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Absolutely. I, I see yeah. them
3: a, a lot of the bats out in the forest at
4: night
1: too. Oh,
3: yeah. you Because I've got a yeah. headlamp on my head so they yeah. fly right at your head and then yeah. change course <laughs> Oh, because the, the, the
1: lights would be attracting the insects <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. the bats would yeah. come yeah. in for that. Yeah. 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 So you're a bat um, target. Yeah. Yeah. And,
3: and owls, and occasionally. Owls. Yeah, it's Powerful Not so owls. much on my head. No, I think they're boobooks. Boobooks, yeah. And just recently I've been hearing them call out in the forest a fair bit. Just in the last couple of weeks you can hear the the boobook calling through the forest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, often get bats, like, you can almost feel them just graze the top of your head. Yeah, <laughs> we've had a
1: few in the house over the years, and yeah. uh, they've come down the chimney and fly around, and we just open the doors, and they very quickly go you out. Turn the outside but lights on. T- exactly, yeah. Yeah, turn, you know, they, yeah, they go out. But, I mean, just lights and insects, I mean, uh, one of the things that um, interested me was uh, various studies being done about um, how light pollution... Is affecting um, the insect numbers because mm, no. I mean, we've just got light on everywhere and. Um a few researchers have discovered that, um, as we know, so moths especially but are attracted to lights, but other insects as well. And this um, action is disturbing their usual mating regime. So they're spending mm-hmm. so long fluttering around the lights and they tend to get lost and don't go off and, and mate. And that's one of the reasons why our insect numbers are declining. Which I find mm. kind of quite sad Especially when there's no real answer for it
3: No, no yes, and there's so. probably some that are Probably doing better because of it And <coughs> exactly. becoming a problem as yeah. well yeah. in the <laughs> other yeah. direction yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly,
1: which is the same As, you know, development in the, in the cities. Some animals are suffering because of it But others like, like the possums For yes. example, and yeah. the magpies, it's a perfect Environment, you know, the magpies, there's a few yeah. Tall trees dotted around and they can Be up there and survey their mm. Kingdoms, and... Um, the
4: possums must be Having a hard time with all this development Going on the And gardens being pulled out All over central and Melbourne trees. Yeah. trees getting pulled out especially yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I knew a, a Gardener down in uh, the Geelong Area and she was saying that She used to have maybe a couple of magpies In her garden and when the uh, recent freeway expansion went in there can be up to 50 magpies in the garden now because they've got Whoa. nowhere to go. Oh, All wow. the trees have been pulled down mm. and it, uh, that's really sad mm. isn't it? Mm. Yeah, really, really quite depressing. So on to brighter topics. Let's get into some of the plants that uh, <laughs> you've brought in Craig. Yeah. Look,
4: I've, I've talked about Chinese quince before but they're yeah. just looking so fantastic mm-hmm. this year. Um, they're such great trees and the colour is just beautiful. And of course it's covered in in the fruit Which (coughs) is just ripening So you have red and yellow Um, Have they just gone through another name change? Used to be Pseudo-Cydonia Now it's Cydonia
3: So
5: it's been put in with twins Cydonia sinensis Yeah.
3: Yeah
2: It's not pseudo anymore. It's not pseudo, no. <laughs> I reckon in the, in the culinary sense, the Chinese quince is, I prefer it over... It has a stronger flavour. Yeah, it yeah. does. A bit woodier. It's got, it's got a, little, it's a little bit pithy kind of yeah. texture to the yeah. fruit after you stew it, but I think the flavour is much Far superior. Yeah. But in terms of an autumn foliage tree,
4: because the leaves are quite thick and leathery, they don't mm. get damaged by the heat over mm-hmm. summer, mm. so it holds its foliage to get good autumn colour. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the softer things like maples often get burnt, mm. and that, that, that puts the autumn colour off a bit. And the bark is beautiful on them too. It's like they they a great around. myrtle, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, they're great little trees.
1: What size are they? <sighs>
4: Four meters. Yeah, most
3: that's I think. Yeah. I, my, my biggest one is now about fifteen years old. Yeah, and it, it'd be up to about three meters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's quite
4: slow, and they don't. I mean, people's obsession with straight trunks doesn't really fit with no. Chinese firs. <laughs> <laughs> they they want, twist and curve you around You the trunk
3: it. anyway, because then you get to see more bark. Yeah, yeah. that's
4: right. <coughs>
3: yeah. And and the flowering too, uh, the flowers on it are quite nice. Pink, pink and, pink and yeah. spring on yeah. bare wood. Oh, yeah. gorgeous.
4: Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But the autumn colour, it, and it like, lasts for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, they don't just colour up and drop. Yeah. yeah.
1: And how do you use it in the garden?
4: Just like you would just use a small deciduous tree. Mm-hmm. But, but you get fruit, flowers and bark. Yeah. And autumn colour. Yeah. Yeah, It's one of those trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bang yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um, for your buck. so underused. Yeah.
3: yeah. It, it's probably something, because of the bark especially, that you'd want to have it in a spot where you can see the bark once it's lost its foliage especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's probably not something you'd whack at the back of somewhere where you can't sort of get near the base of it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's sort of better in a spot. It's never going to be a tree that you can you know tie a swing to or yeah, you yeah, know yeah. Uh, not yeah, it's not a metres. huge yeah it's not a huge yeah. tree but it's somewhere you know it's near the edge of a garden border or yeah. uh somewhere where you can appreciate the, the bark on it
4: it would be uh, similar in size to a crepe myrtle i guess which yeah everyone seems to be planting these days yeah. Mm. Yeah. and
1: and what about pruning is that something that you just let let go oh, and let it
5: do never its own thing? it never touched it the only
4: yeah. thing i do is it, it gets a bit of um Sappy sappy growth down below. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just take that off every now and again. That's about it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unusual for me because I'm a cereal pruner. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you were talking earlier about the Fajoas. Is that some, something that you can prune up and hedge? Absolutely. Yep.
4: Yeah. Yeah, because they, they flower on new wood. Mm. Um, but they like a lot of food. Mm. They're hungry plants. Yeah. And
1: d- is that something that you've got in the garden?
4: No, they don't mm-hmm. really do that well on the hills. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I come from the far north of New Zealand, and they just everywhere. Everyone has a mm-hmm. fish jar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic fruit. Yeah, yeah,
1: awesome. All right, we should go to um, a couple more callers. We're going to go to Rose in Thornbury. Good
8: morning, Rose. Oh, hi. Um, look, yeah, I'm, I live in Thornbury. I've got a rat problem in the roof in a bungalow.
5: Mm-hmm. But
8: obviously they come out and they... Um, They're making a lot of noise, and they're eating stuff in the garden. I'm not sure if they're eating stuff in the garden, but I'd need to get rid of them for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, But we've got two dogs, and there are owls around here, and I don't want to really use poison. I've tried lots of things. I've got those baits that you can enclose and put peanut butter in, but they're not interested in going there. I've tried the general rat trap um, a bucket approach to with water in it and stuff they're just they're just smart so yeah, they're
1: so smart rose i've had um a i've had a rat plague yes. um and b i use the um the electronic rat traps i found to be very effective and they take four double d batteries yes. and um the map uh, the rat runs across a uh, a small metal plate and basically electrocutes them um, It's very quick death Over in, um, I'd say Maximum five seconds Yeah. And then you can leave them outside For the kookaburras and owls to take mm-hmm. So that's
5: um, So you put them in the ceiling though, yeah?
1: You can put them in the ceiling so, and I can't get into the
8: ceiling, it's too small too oh, well, if, if
1: you can't, then just leave them in the house Where, where you know, rats yeah. go
8: Okay, they don't go in the house Yeah. yeah so they're in the garden? Yeah
1: Yeah, so You've obviously seen them, so you know it is rats and not a possum in, in the
8: roof? I've seen them go along the fence, oh, yeah. yeah. And there's the roof space is very small space yep. and there's not enough room for a possum to get in.
1: Yeah, sure. I'd just leave it outside somewhere where it's so, not going to get wet where
8: we know that it's Okay, so cover it up and leave it on the veranda there or yeah, something? Yeah,
1: something like that. Okay, where do you
8: get them? Bunnings? Or uh, yeah, just, I haven't actually seen it,
1: them. Yeah, just any of the hardwares. And there's also another, um,
8: <clears throat> it's a passive type
1: of trap called a nooski. And um, it's new. I've got one and hasn't caught anything at home yet, but I'm, I'm still hopeful. And basically that um, the rat runs into the trap and this um, little... Um, spring sort of releases a very strong rubber band around the rat and uh, suffocates it and oh, the, again it's supposed to be um, they, they say 11 seconds uh, oh. until it's completely suffocated but that is uh, fine uh, you know if you and you can put the rats or mice outside for the um, for the kookaburras and owls as well so okay. there's a couple that you can look at that, uh, okay. that I, I haven't had success with the new ski one yet, but I'm still hopeful, but I've had a lot of success with the electronic one that takes the batteries.
8: Yeah, okay. There was a, There is a product advertised um, called Rat X, and it's cornmeal, and they say that, I just wondered if anyone knew about it. No, I've never heard
1: it's of it. It's a
8: cornmeal product because they say rats don't vomit and they can't digest this, and I suppose they just fill up with it and...
1: Much like mm. the rat poison. The sort
8: of, yeah, you know, but it's poison not poison. Dehydrating
1: them. Yeah, no, that's a, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to have a look at yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. more after something organic.
4: Yeah, that's mm,
8: yeah. right. Um, anyway, okay, thanks very much. I'll try those other things. Good on your Rose. Yeah, Thank I'm you. sure I'm not the only one. Cheers. No, Bye. not at all. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. See ya.
10: And we'll go to uh, Sue from Bushland Flora. Hello, Sue. Hi, how yeah. are you? Good. Um, before I ask my question, I can give you another tip on rats too because yeah, yeah. we had a problem now this doesn't get rid of them completely but it does help is the electronic devices that you put inside to deter spiders also deters rats and i've actually got a permanent lead that goes into the manhole that one of those devices is up in my roof and that's made i haven't had rats in my roof for years actually Mm -hmm. since i've had that on
4: and that covers the whole ceiling does it so
10: Look, I don't know if it does, but I used to have a major problem with rats here.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah they're having a party in my ceiling at the moment. Yeah. yeah. The
10: other thing Alan was talking about, this digestion was to uh plaster of Paris. apparently, if you could get that into anything that they're eating too, can uh, lock up the insides of them, you know, that you make um oh, your yeah. pasts and oh, things yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. well, okay. they do eat a lot of things, don't they? They so, do, yeah. yeah. But I have to say... These devices that you put inside the house, Alan had bought them years and years ago, and I said, oh, what a waste of money. And I packed them up and took them back and asked for a refund. This is many years <laughs> ago. And within one month, I went out and bought them again because <laughs> they're amazing what they do to also deter you, um, um, those horrible spiders, what are they called? white spiders. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, but we've got three of them down at floor level here. Plugged into the um, down the hallways and things like that. Uh, but I do have rats because yesterday I decided to um, upturn my compost heap and two of them ran out from inside the compost oh. heap. Yeah, and they're big at the moment, yeah. but not a major plague.
4: The upside of rats is that they love snails. Oh, do they? <laughs> they, they Absolutely. Lie. I'm constantly finding little nests of, mm. no. little oh. rats of, nests of snail shells. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well,
10: yeah, I wanted to fit too, and I'll butt in on colchiums. I've got colchiums in my garden in clay soil AB, and I've oh. actually put them. I got them from, I'm not sure who this lady is, but a lady that Virginia knows that grows plants for um, RBT for the Friends sale. I dropped off some plants one day, and I bought them, and I just took the bottom of the pot pothouse and planted the pot so I can see the rim mm. into the garden at the same height that she had them planted. And I've had them probably for about seven years now. Mm. And that go- that turns to concrete in summer. Mm. Um, and that's been absolutely fantastic. But,
4: uh, yeah, they're not a big challenge. No.
3: No, no the no, only
10: thing I'm probably thinking is the pot's going to probably be a bit small now, I might have to have a look at well, They might at have that.
3: escaped out the bottom too if, yeah. if oh, okay. they probably Whoa, pushed yeah. themselves out the bottom <laughs> awesome. and they're completely yeah. below it anyway, yeah
10: um, I've got a couple of questions to you Greg I got a beautiful uh, labelia from you at uh, Fernie Creek years ago with right. a, like a magenta
3: yes, flower I, I, I think it's lobelia speciosum and I can't remember the hybrid name because i okay. names. Um, oh,
10: it was so beautiful. And, you know, one day I thought, oh, where's my flower? Somebody's come and picked my flower and then realised it was right on the edge of the garden bed where the hose hose goes and the hose has gone and gone. Oh. Snapped <laughs> no. it off. So.
3: And there's something that's probably best dug up reasonably frequently and divided and that's sort of That's what kept I was fresh. going to ask too. Yeah. Yeah. And
10: also the Helianthus, because I noticed this year, my big displays that I had a couple of years ago just didn't do it this year.
3: Yeah, that, that could have been the lack of moisture later yeah. in the season.
10: Yeah. Okay.
3: But also, if you've had it, once they hit about... So that's Helianthus angustifolius. Yes. Um, once they hit about three to five years in the ground untouched, yep. they start to thicken up a little bit too much. That's and, what and, they that and you'll that you'll lose too. the
6: height. Yeah,
10: because the new clumps um the, the The new plants that i 've got uh, have done a lot better, so how many years do you recommend that you do that like the
3: I, I used to dig them up and divide them into single shoots oh, okay. every, every year so every, year. every every year it depends how much so for gardening purposes, the best thing is to probably leave it for three years, yep, and then when you prune them back after flowering, leave a little bit of stubble so you can see where they are. Yep. And if you dig up that clump, shake all the soil off it, yep. and then pull the clump apart, Yep. one piece of stubble per clump. Yep. Each of those should get uh, anywhere between 5 and 20 flower stems the following season. Wow. And they can all get up to six or eight feet tall and have 30 to 40 flowers on them, assuming that all its other conditions are, are, are correct.
10: I successfully propagated that from cuttings last year. Uh,
3: from, the, from the base cuttings or yeah, from up? Years
10: ago, I, when Stephen was on, I said, could you do it? Yeah. And I tried it and it didn't work, so I sort of waited and... Um, as soon as the stem started to uh, firm up, so I did. The only problem is that you're sacrificing your yeah your flower so stems, but it actually worked this wow. year for me. Yeah,
3: right.
10: Yeah, I so only tried th- a couple.
3: The best way I found to get number propagate numbers from them. Yeah. Is uh, to again dig them up over winter at some point. Yep. Yeah. Um, and before you plant them back in in like keep them somewhere moist. Yep. Yeah. Um, and as they're starting to shoot in spring, you'll see all the... So the old root system from the previous year pretty much dies out the following year. Okay. And that year's growth will grow from fresh shoots off the base of last year's uh, flowering stem. Oh. And if you leave it to, if you leave them out of the ground in a moist spot until they've shot off the old stems, you'll yep. see where the roots grow off the base of the new shoot. Okay. And all you do is you pick up one stem and you peel all the shoots off it and they've yep. already got little roots on them and then okay. you pop them up or plant them out individually. Oh, that's
6: a good and, idea. And
3: you can, like off one three-year-old clump, you can potentially get a couple of hundred plants, which the following season will then have five to 20 plants off each one of those.
10: That's fantastic. Now, so when would I actually take them out then? Because they've just finished flowering now. Look,
3: the easiest way, I reckon, is to leave it till sort of midwinter. Yep. Um, and as I say, leave that stubble on them, leave a couple of in- inches of stubble.
10: Yeah.
3: Um, and dig them up sort of midwinter and wash the root systems off, so it's just root bare roots. Yeah. And keep them in a moist, cool spot, um, you know, underneath a misting system or, in- as long as they're, they're moist. Yeah. And just keep an eye on them and wait for them to shoot. And once they've shot and you can see the buds coming off and the little new roots growing off those buds. Yeah. Then you lift. Uh, take the clumps out, and uh, that's all, all we, you need to do is peel the buds off and make sure they've got a shoot and some roots on it, um, and you peel them off the old stem and just plant them out individually. Oh, that's fantastic! It's like planting fantastic. out seedlings, yeah. Because
10: you can't have too many of them in no, your garden, can you? No, they're good. Great plant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely beautiful. Okay, then thanks, guys. Good, i nice. Thanks ya. a lot. Bye. Bye.
1: And we will go to uh, Gloria. You're back again. I am. Hello.
7: Hi. <laughs> it's a great show. Um, listen, uh, I'm looking out at my lily pillies. I've got six very tall ones. And I had a fellow here the other day taking out a dead casarina for me <clears throat> in the front. And he looked at the lily pillies and said, um, you know, that, oh, I should just cut them right off at the top. Not the top, sort of halfway up. And I went, oh, I'm not sure. And he said, oh, no, no, they'll, they'll grow very quickly. And I was unsure about that. I'm just questioning his judgment about that they would bush up and... They, they're quite tall.
4: Are they trees? Or
7: Yeah, they're trees. Yep, yep. A lily-pilly, I think.
5: Yeah. Right?
7: Yep. There are six of them along the west fence. And, uh, in fact, I've got a wisteria growing up, one of them. Um, but would they bush up? Oh, they'll
4: it's definitely shoot back. There's no mm. issue with that. It's just a question of whether well, you want to cut them or not. Yeah, we're just
1: wondering why you'd want to prune them. Uh, well, yeah, I think he was looking for jo- more jobs,
7: but um, <laughs> yeah. possibly, possibly, uh, to be kind to him. Um, well, they would bush up, though.
4: No, No question. Mm.
7: Okay, so he could cut half the top off
4: you could cut them back 12 inches from the ground and they'll shoot back. Mm. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, they're, they're no. really tough. No, if, no problem with yeah, that. Yeah, but if
1: they're healthy and, and growing well, I would certainly question as to why. Unless you yeah, yeah, want yeah.
4: some afternoon sun. Mm. Yeah. No,
1: yeah. in fact, they're on the west and they, they actually are terrific for
7: protecting me from that uh, sun.
5: Right. right. So,
7: no, okay, that was my judgment. too. The other question I've got is the, I've got uh, a lemonade uh, bush tree, which is covered in uh, fruit at the moment mm-hmm. and then I've got a Eureka on the other side of it uh, and then in between I've got another lemonade and something it's young it hasn't had any fruit yet but something is eating it the really. foliage the fruit Yep, f- foliage no fruit yet foliage young. Seems to be a You're the second caller like, today who's yeah. had that
2: problem, yeah, and okay. a similar situation to you the as well. possums uh, of Melbourne have discovered yeah. <laughs> So what is that, and what can I do? I
5: else?
4: reckon it's a possum. I can't see anything else. Really? Yeah. A possum? Well, what else would be doing it? Mm.
7: Well, that's what I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the
4: possum would be living in the lily-pillies. And
7: but, the, it, but it's actually quite a young one.
4: Which would make the the and leaves a bit more palatable. Tastier, yeah. 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 And there's no yeah. fruit
7: on it. Yeah. 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 you think a possum? Oh, a ringtail or? A Either. Either. Yeah. Really?
5: Yeah.
1: Oh, so I'll hang some chimes in the tree. <laughs> yes. yeah. And the possum will have some nice music too well, well. to
5: eat by. <laughs> 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 you should just go too. Okay, okay. Possum. I didn't think <laughs> the possum.
1: All righty, uh, I'll find some chimes. <laughs> <laughs> good, good on you, Gloria. Thank okay, you. thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> And finally, we'll go to uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Hi, Jill. Hi, Jill. Mm. Jill, has um, she's listening to us on the radio. Are you there, Jill? Hello. Hello. Yes. <laughs> I could hear myself talking in the background there. <laughs> Hello. There? Hello. This is Jill. Yes. Hi, Jill.
0: How are you doing? Good. Um, this, I'm speaking about the Herb Society's function yeah. on... Uh, Thursday evening at Burnley, room 10, Burnley Gardens. And Richard Rowe is coming to talk about planting a butterfly garden. Oh, lovely. So he's talking about the flowers, yes, for the nectar, but he's going to talk about the plants that, the, that a butterfly um, grubs like, mm. caterpillars like. So, you know, they're not necessarily the same plant. That's right. So that'll be a fascinating talk. And people should come for about 7.15, so they're ready to start at 7.30. Sure. And And we have a Herb Supper. And where where was that again? Burnley Horticultural Mm -hmm. College, 500 Yarra Boulevard. If people uh, could do the web, do internet, the website is herbsocietyvic, all one word, little letter, dot, org.au yep. and it's under activities for nine, uh, 2018
1: Sounds Thank great you. Sounds like a good talk to come along to
0: Yes, and then of course we have a, you know, a raffle and other activities yep. and cuttings and things like that, so people should enjoy it.
1: Yeah, lovely Thanks very much Good on you Jill, thanks a lot. Bye Bye for now yeah that um that is interesting with the butterflies because so often we just um obviously enjoy the adult butterfly and um, but they yeah. do need somewhere to lay their eggs and um something yeah. for the um their little larvae to munch
4: on. Mm. People yeah. are people are so down on caterpillars. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah it's it's, well, it's a real mindset. I have this issue with the nursery. You know, if a plant's got a chewed leaf, people don't want to buy it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, which drives me berserk, of course. <laughs> yeah, we,
1: we really do have a negative attitude. And I, I lump myself in that category to somewhat um, towards insects because we don't know them, there's so many to know, it just Mm. seems like an absolute minefield and then you look at them with, you know, absolute suspicion when they're in the garden. What are you (laughs) gonna kill? But in actual fact, you know, there's not a whole heap that do huge amounts of damage. You know, we've got your aphids and spring and and whatnot and of course the various garden pests, but if your garden is a bit more in balance Um, I think by using um, chemical sprays, it's, um, yeah, just. My big dissectums are just
4: dripping with aphids in the spring. Yeah. Mm. I mean, they're covered in them and I never do a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And by November, the aphids are gone and they grow a fresh set of leaves and Mm -hmm. they're off again. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And when I say dripping, I mean literally, you know, all along the stems every year.
2: Right. Yeah. It's
1: all over Red River. Yeah. All right, well, um, we have run out of time, amazingly. I've been sitting here yakking. Um, so I'd like to thank Virginia for womaning the phones. Thanks, Virginia. Um, thanks to James, uh, Greg and Craig for sharing your knowledge. It's been fantastic. And thanks to the listeners for tuning in to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A B Bishop and we'll be here again at the same time next week. So bye for now. You've
10: been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.